gentlemen, welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. This is podcast number 19, and it's all about how can you be an extraordinary coach. Learning how to learn is the superpower of superpowers. That's the central message of the podcast today with Rick Hansen. We're going to explore how we can develop resilience. I think it's such an important quality in these times, you know, where everything seems more volatile and uncertain. And we're going to explore how often as coaches, we leave out a really essential part of the process of turning the positive states that clients experience in the sessions with us into lasting traits. So Rick's going to tell us what is that part that we often leave out and what is the neuroscience behind that process? And then most importantly, how does he use this process, this missing ingredient to accelerate the learning and growth of his clients? So Rick is a big name in the field of psychology and neuroscience And he's the author of some really cool books, uh, best-selling books such as The Buddha's Brain and Hardwired for Happiness. And his books have been endorsed by the likes of Thich Nhat Hanh, Jack Cornfield, Dan Siegel, and Tara Brack. So pretty awesome endorsements. And as I said, his work often shows us how we can leverage the latest findings in neuroscience to develop greater well-being and to accelerate our learning. So let's dive straight in. So Rick, very nice to be with you today. I'm super excited to dive in. How's things with you? I'm doing great and I'm really glad that we're doing this. It's a pleasure. Mm, nice. Um, yeah, well, it's a, it's a cool topic that we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about resilience and, and you've got this book out. I've really been enjoying reading that, Resilience. And I think it's really relevant for coaches. You know, this podcast is for coaches. And we'll get into why I think that's the case as we speak. Um, I think for me, resilience is such an important topic for these times that we live in, you know, where there seems to be, you know, a lot of change happening or, or, or more chaos, uh, more unpredictability around the world. And that's not even just in the everyday person's, you know, immediate life. So perhaps you could start by saying why you think resilience is important and what it is. Yeah. So first off, resilience is the capacity inside us to recover from uh, setbacks, trauma, loss, disaster. And resilience also is the capacity to sustain effort, to keep on going in pursuit of our goals in the face of challenges. So the more that a person's life is challenged, and the less that the uh, world is coming to help uh, at any scale, from a relationship partner all the way up to the federal government, the more important it is to develop resources on the inside out, because that's what makes us resilient. What makes us resilient is inner resources. Think of them as inner muscles, psychological muscles of various kinds, or drawing on my background as a rock climber, also in wilderness, the supplies in your backpack. It's the stuff you've got with you that you can draw on to deal when the storms come. And the resources that make us resilient are then in turn the basis for any kind of lasting well-being in a changing world. Because if we're going to have lasting happiness, 
lasting eudaimonic fulfillment, to use the technical term, a sense of meaning and purpose. If we are to have lasting love, lasting sense of contentment and fulfillment, we must have resilience. It's easy to have well-being if you're sitting in your hammock and someone's rubbing your hair. That's easy. (laughs) But how to have well-being over the course of a normal, stressful business day, stuck in traffic, dealing with hassles, arguing with your teenager, and then someone's on the news whose politics you don't like. Well, you know, to be able to maintain a core, I call it the unshakable core of peace, contentment, and love, hardwired into our own body. In order to develop and grow and protect that core of well-being, we need to be able to be resilient. Sometimes in positive psychology, people present various techniques or practices like gratitude or mindfulness or self-compassion, worthy as they may be, they're often presented as one-shot deals, kind of like a magic carpet going to take you to the heaven realms. Mm -hmm. And okay, that's fine. Nothing against those practices. But meanwhile, down here on planet Earth, we've got to cope. We've got to adapt. We've got to deal with things along the way. And so that's why I wanted to write this book at this time. Mm -hmm. For one, the general purposes uh, of resilience as a kind of not well enough understood uh, aspect of our personal psychology, since it's usually only talked about for great trauma, but actually mm-hmm. we need it in an everyday way, and the ways in which resilience is the basis of happiness. Mm-hmm. No, hap- no resilience, no happiness long term. And also now these days, this is certainly true for me living in America, perhaps also true for people living elsewhere, such as the UK or, or Europe. Uh, it does not look like the cavalry is coming to rescue us, to use the trope from the movies. And we're on our own. And given that we're on our own uh, with each other, one of the most important things to do is to develop resources inside because then you also have more to share with other people. Yeah. Yeah, I really got that from reading your book. It's not. This is not just for people who are, you know, maybe in extreme conditions and, and really under duress. But, um, you know, it can help them. But it's really this is really about for everybody and for, for building a life where that sense of well-being and the ability to bounce back is, is really a core of who we are. And so I wonder if you could say how we can start to develop resilience. You know, you said sometimes people say be grateful and stuff, and that's not yeah. enough. So maybe you could say like, what, maybe what are some of the ingredients that go together to create resilience and how do we, how do we develop it? Yeah, I love this question because it's got this combination of opportunity in it and responsibility in it. Mm. And as context, as you you may well know, roughly a third of our personal attributes on average are baked into our DNA. They are heritable. They're innate. Mm. All right. The other two thirds, though, is the result of what happens to us and what we do inside our own mind. That means that that two-thirds, roughly, of who we are is subject to our own influence. We can do something about it in principle, both intervening inside ourselves and in the wider world, including the wider world, uh, the aspect of the wider world that is our relationships. All right. So that means we can develop a lot of the underlying psychological resources that make us resilient and bring lasting well-being. That's good news. So then the question is, which I think you're zeroed in on, I think the absolutely right question, how do you grow it? Interestingly, most focus in positive psychology, including the recent focus on character strengths, is on two things, identifying strengths that you have and using them effectively. That's great. 
But what about growing them in the first place? What about the acquisition of these inner resources? It's routinely left out. And I think that's a, an omission and also a great opportunity because if we focus more on growing resources, that's what most people aren't talking about. And that's how to make things better rapidly. So how do you grow them? Um, I'll try to cut to the chase here. The fundamental how is brutally simple. It's got two necessary steps and you got to do both of them. Step one, you must experience whatever you want to grow. So to make it concrete, let's suppose a person wants to grow greater self-confidence about going on sales calls or speaking up in meetings or challenging in an appropriate way a boss or an authority figure uh, or even giving a speech. Let's suppose a person wants to grow that. Or maybe a person wants to grow more patience, more restraint, let's say, in their family. They have a hot temper. They're irritable. They know it would help them to develop more restraint. Or maybe a person wants to know how to be more skillful with a partner or with a coworker who comes from a really different culture. All these are things we can grow or heal or learn. The how of growing them must begin with the first step of experiencing them. We cannot jack a cable into the inner iPod and just transfer the file over. The brain is old school. You, you learn things by uh, playing the song. You've got you've to have an experience. So you experience whatever you want to grow. And then critically important, the second stage, that experience must produce a lasting change in the brain. Otherwise, it may have been momentarily pleasant or useful, but by definition, it left no trace behind. All that money was left on the table. There was no gain. There was no return on investment in the particular experience. Nothing came of it that had any lasting value. And this fact and the frequent omission of the second necessary stage of learning in psychotherapy, in coaching, in character education for children, in human resources training, in mindfulness training, in spiritual training. I have a lot of background in meditative and other forms of spiritual practice. Uh, and the omission of that necessary second stage flattens the learning curve for so many people. It's haunting to appreciate the small conversion rate normally for most people of beneficial experiences, beneficial states to any kind of beneficial trait. Mm. It doesn't convert. And so what the opportunity then is to really work that second stage. And the usage of it is amazingly simple. Uh, typically, all we need to do is, is to ex extend the experience for a breath or two or three. That's going to increase its conversion into a lasting change in the brain. You know, there's a famous saying, neurons that fire together, wire together. Mm. That means that the longer they fire together, the more they tend to wire together. Another thing a person can do is really try to feel the experience in the body. So, for example, to be more confident, if you feel of worth or you feel uh, that um, you have a sense of capability so that you really can speak up and speak out and it will go okay. If you have that experience, really try to feel it in your body. Not just know it intellectually. Oh, people like me. I know a lot of people who could list intellectually all these great attributes they have and they still feel like a piece of crud. They, don't, mm -hmm. they still feel bad about themselves. They, don't have, they have high self-esteem but low self-worth. So it's critically important to experience it. That too will increase the conversion rate from state to trait. And then the last easy thing a person can do is focus on what's rewarding about the experience, what's mm -hmm. enjoyable or meaningful about it.
Any one of those three things will tend to increase what's called consolidation, the transfer from and the encoding of a pattern of mental neural activation that underlies our experience the to increase the conversion of the encoding to consolidation as a lasting change. Mm. If you use all three, even, if you extend the experience for two or three or more breaths, if you kind of feel it in your body, if you focus on what's enjoyable about it, what feels good about it, or what's meaningful, all that is probably less than half a minute. Mm. It's private. Nobody needs to know you're doing it. But meanwhile, you literally are starting to hardwire the residual benefits of that experience into the fabric of your own nervous system. I just want to, you know, as a coach who's been working with people for quite some years, I think what you said there is incredibly important. You know, like if anyone's listening now and they're like, oh, cool, yeah, yeah, nice. But I think what you said is, is true is that there are, you know, and I know this in my own experience, particularly yeah. in the beginning where my clients would be having these positive experiences, but then I didn't know about this second stage that you're talking yeah. about. And I think that's what's so beautiful about what you're describing here is you're giving people a real roadmap or a, a way of, of them consolidating these experiences. Yeah. And taking charge, in effect, of the structure building function-altering processes in your own brain. And in effect, therefore, taking charge of who you are becoming. Mm. Grounded in the body, based in science, and, a really, and also grounded in a lot of old-school values of self-reliance. Good news, no one can stop you from learning inside your own mind. And I'm using the word learning broadly, not just ideas and information, but more importantly, learning attitudes, learning, learning moods, learning skills with other people. Okay. No one can stop you from gaining from your experiences, from acquiring wisdom and skillfulness along the way, and no one can do it except you. Could you say something about how you, I think you yeah. work with clients still, but yeah. could you walk us through? Us. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Great question. Um, so uh, myself, I, t I tend to work backwards. I'm a practical guy, methods guy. So I work backwards. What would be good to grow? Now, the truth is, I've sat in a room with many experienced therapists, hundreds of them, all licensed, all experienced. And when you start asking them point blank, okay, pick your client, tell the brief story, what's going on, what's the challenge there, maybe out in the world of the client, like a tough job or an aging parent that's dementing and they're living with, with you at home, or maybe it's something inside yourself. Maybe you're still troubled by what happened to you when you were a kid. Or maybe your life is boring and you're just looking for something more expansive. Okay, that's the challenge. All right, what mental resource would help? What's on the short list of what, if it were more present in the mind of the person, would really help? It's astonishing to me how often people struggle to answer that question, including mm -hmm. for themselves. So don't underestimate the profundity of that question and the challenge in it. But it's the, first, it's the most important question. What if it were more present would really help? The rest is pretty straightforward. Then you look for opportunities to experience it and then install in the second necessary stage of learning that experience. But if you have to know, first of all, what are you looking for? And when you know what you're looking for, then you value it. So let's suppose you're looking for experiences that others care about me and value me because that's an important muscle to grow to build my self-confidence. Okay. Mm. Or let's suppose that a person's anxious and they would like to 
uh, grow the resource of calm strength, that feeling of you're calm and you're strong. You can deal. Okay. So first step, you look for those experiences of whatever you want to grow and you value them. Usually you're already having the experience, but now that you value it, you know what you're trying to grow. You don't just let it wash through your mind like water through a sieve. You focus mm-hmm. on it. And then once you focus on it, or maybe you deliberately create it, maybe you say to yourself, you know, I'm going to go through my day and I'm going to look for new opportunities to feel included and valued by other people, including in very small and ordinary ways. Mm-hmm. Or you might say, okay, I'm going to go through my day and look for opportunities to create experiences of calm strength in me. I'm going to deliberately take extra long exhalations. I'm going to deliberately know what it feels like to be strong when I hold that yoga pose or lift that weight or stand up for my kid. I'm going to look for those. I'm going to create those experiences. Then in the second necessary stage, and I'll finish on this point, once the song is playing in your mind, don't waste it on your brain. Turn on the inner recorder. Don't just skitter on to the next thing. Don't let other people rain on your parade. Uh, Don't chase the next shiny object in our ADD-ish culture. Stay with the experience for the dozen or two dozen seconds it really takes for a physical change process to begin Mm -hmm. that has some kind of probability or likelihood of of a durable learning from the experience. Mm -hmm. That's kind of it. So as a coach then, what I do is I work backwards. What would be really good to grow? in this person of any kind, including skillfulness or know-how. And then I really look for opportunities for when that song is playing or I can get it playing in the mind of the client in my office or out in their life, which is even better because they spend more time in out of, outside my office than inside my office. If it's the opposite, we're in trouble and ethics boards are going to get called. I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> So I'm, I'm trying to do that. And then I'm also teaching people how to internalize experiences. I'm teaching them methods like I'm teaching here. There's a lot more detail, as you know, from your background with my work that I can get into with people. But the essence is really simple. Have it, enjoy it. Mm. Have the experience, get that state going, and then start enjoying it so it sinks in. So as a coach or a therapist, uh, the trick is to really, I think a lot, when a person is having a useful experience, to slow things down, to protect it, maybe to draw the person's attention to it intuitively, maybe be even more formal about it, like say to the person, let's take half a minute quietly here. Don't worry, I won't stare at you. And let's just really receive this experience. So it really can fill that hole in your heart. And it can soothe or salve that wounded place inside. And you can take it in and you can shift a little in your being. So you become a little more fill in the blank, confident, or you are calm or have a sense of grit about you going forward. I think that's really the essence of the process. And when people start paying attention to that second stage, a whole world opens up. Mm. Then it, I did not invent these methods. Good therapists use them. Good coaches use them. Great kindergarten teachers use them. But we tend to not use them systematically. And also we rarely teach them explicitly to our clients. And I think those are both really big opportunities. Yeah. I mean, I I often get my client thinking about what is that? You know, just by getting them to talk about the quality they would like to embody more 
that is usually a part of them anyway. Um, But they start to talk about it and think about what they want to create. And suddenly it's here, you know, suddenly they're feeling it. And then it is like you say, it's about they get an imprint of it. You know, maybe even feeling it changes their posture. Yeah. And, And then, you know, then you just kind of help them zoom in on the different qualities of it. Wonderful. You're a natural. Yeah. And, and these, these are great methods, aren't they? And you did not invent those methods. I didn't invent them. You know, the mm. other we found it through trial and error that they work. And the essence, I think, is to really use it, these approaches systematically. Right. To really, I think so much, Joel, about growth curve. What's the growth yeah. curve? And what's the delta from flat, let alone decline, you know, from flat to gain? What's the delta? Every day. When you go to bed, are you a little wiser, a little stronger, a little more at peace, a little happier, a little more loving or not? Right. And then here's the other thing. Can you increase that delta over the course of your life in a curvilinear way? Can you learn how to learn? So the uh, slope of your growth curve steepens over the course of your life. That's the great opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I find that really exciting. And, um, perhaps you could say just a, li- a couple more words about the systemic part of it, you know? So um, presumably then you're supporting your clients not only to learn how to learn so that they can then, you know, take on this process for themselves, but throughout the day they're, they're looking for opportunities or ways in which they can keep grounding themselves in certain attributes and yeah. that, accum- that starts to exponentially grow over time. Yeah, you're saying it very, very well. Um, People rarely systematically focus on growing a psychological resource inside themselves. And yet it would help so much if they did. So that's a fantastic opportunity. And when I say systematically, I mean something that's usually less than five minutes a day. Mm. So let's take our two examples. Someone wants to build self-confidence. Another person wants to build calm strength. If they deliberately focused on an experience of confidence or being valued or loved or included by others, or they focused on a sense of calming or a sense of gritty fortitude, if they focused on those experiences five times a day, that would be a lot. And then spend half a minute or even a little less at a time. That's still less than five minutes a day, all told. And yet, Uh, When people do this, one, they do start to grow that trait. And research shows in general that there's a dosing relationship, it's called dosing, Mm -hmm. between amount of intervention and amount of gain. It's Mm kind of loose, and and it's not perfect, but generally, the uh, the more episodes in a day in which we're trying to internalize a beneficial experience to grow something good inside, And the more depth of engagement in those episodes over the course of the day, the steeper the growth curve is going to be Mm. as a general rule. Um, So, yeah, I think that's really that change. And so one, people grow it. The other thing is it changes your outlook. People talk about growth mindset, right? Carol Dweck's work, fantastic work that said, how do you grow a growth mindset? If you do it, we're talking about here, your whole day shifts instead of feeling beset by impediments and obnoxious other people and burdened and haunted by the ghosts in your own mind from your childhood, 
instead of feeling that way, you start feeling much more that life is opportunity. It's full of opportunities for healing, for growing, for learning. Uh, and the more that you're pushed around by external forces and the less the world is coming to help you, the more important it is to look for those opportunities every day to gain for yourself, to give to yourself. And that changes everything. You'd start going to bed. You're like, yeah, it was a good day. I, I learned this. I grew that. Um, and I had moxie and character along the way. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, yeah. I'm just one last question. Um, I think we've covered a lot of really rich territory um, today uh, is I know you're going to be on the faculty of the, you know, doing a bonus session for the power right, of right. embodied transformation. And um, perhaps you could share a little bit about what we'll learn in that session. Oh, for sure. Um, well, let's see here. I, I want to flag two things in particular, and I'll go through that. So one is I'll go into a little bit of detail about what's called experience-dependent neuroplasticity, and then that aspect of it that people and I call positive neuroplasticity, the idea of self-directed brain change. In other words, with a little bit of understanding of what's going on in the hardware, the you know, 1.1 trillion cells inside your skull, 100 billion neurons, as many neurons in our head as there are stars in the Milky Way galaxy. <laughs> Typical neuron makes several thousand connections with other neurons. That means we have a network inside our head with several hundred trillion little microprocessors, each of which sparkling away, processing information. So I'll get into some of the detail about what's going in, going on under the hood and how to hack it in effect, how to use your mind alone to stimulate different circuits and forces or factors or neurotransmitter systems or regions in your brain, and through stimulating them, strengthening them, because neurons that fire together, wire together, and then on, on the basis of strengthening, in effect, your brain, you then strengthen your mind. It's mm -hmm. like using your mind to change your brain to change your mind for the better. So I'll go into some of that in a lot of detail, including how to talk about this with other people. I learned a lot of ways to ex explain this stuff to civilians, as it were, uh, regular folks of all types in, in a diverse world. So uh, I'll talk about that. I'll also get into what I describe as the fundamental neuropsychology of learning, which I summarize in the acronym HEAL, H-E-A-L, and you know it. Uh, it describes the two stages of learning. So I'll talk about that process, including certain factors in it that we can teach our clients uh, so that they can turbocharge their own learning process when they're outside of our office. And we can use these different methods with them. These are factors of learning, factors of neuropsychological change that we can use with them in our office to maximize the gain that they get from working with us. So that, frankly, when they walk down the stairs, they think to themselves, that was a great session. I'm coming back. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I get results there. It's not like a lot of, you know, help out in the world. It's nice. I know the person's nice, but I'm not changing that much. Um, and so instead of all that, when, you, when we learn how to learn and when we learn how to teach how to learn to our clients, then they whoop, get a lot out of seeing us. I, that's what I love about this is, you know, I want, I can't wait to join that class as well and that session and, and learn from you. I just want to say thanks for 
sharing yourself so generously today. I've really enjoyed our conversation a lot. So thank you very much. Oh, completely my pleasure. And I love this stuff. And just to maybe finish on one sentence, uh, if what we want to grow inside us, mindfulness, compassion, gratitude, grit, love, if those are like superpowers in a sense, learning is the superpower of superpowers. It's the strength of strengths because it's the one we use to grow the rest of them. And if people get good at that strength of strengths, then the rest is details that can apply to whatever else they may want to grow. Nice. Yeah, beautiful way to end.